0: Welcome to The Steady Investor with Mark Vickery and Mitch Zacks. In our program today, we'll help you get started or continue to build your nest egg with some of the best practices for retirement planning. It's time to start right now. Here are your hosts, Mitch Zacks and Mark Vickery.
1: Welcome, welcome listeners of VoiceAmerica.com's business channel. You're listening to The Steady Investor, sponsored by Zacks Investment Management. I'm your co-host, Mark Vickery, joined today by the other co-host of The Steady Investor, and that's Mitch Zacks, Portfolio Manager and Founding
2: Principal at Zacks Investment Management. Uh, good morning, Mitch. Good morning, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. In, it's February in Chicago, but it's unusually warm. It's nice and sunny right. today, and
1: uh, yeah, it's pretty It really enjoyable. is, right.
2: Yeah. April's supposed to come in like a lion, or uh, what is, or it, is come it? March. In like, March comes in like a lion and goes out like a lamb. Or vice versa. Or vice versa. We'll is it comes in as a lamb and goes out like a lion. I don't think that makes... I think it comes in as a lion and it, goes out Lately, it's coming in as Acapulco and is going yeah, out I've Florida. never seen anything like this in uh, February. Apparently, Chicago's a very positive recipient of uh, global warming, perhaps. Or For something. now. For now. Until right. everything bursts into flames. That okay, is let's true. Get to All right. Fair enough. Uh, so I uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, wanted to get
1: to what's going on in the market okay. right now. And, and I, it's, it's nice to kind of get a, a nice uh, perspective from you. Uh, you have a longer view, a well-studied view on what's going on. Yes. But what, what we've seen is uh, now that President Trump has again asserted his interest in a Phenomenal tax cut for corporations and citizens. We've seen a new surge in the markets, and this is indicating the Trump rally is not yet over.
2: Uh, What's your view on this? If you have a dollar worth of uh, pre-tax earnings, and you give uh, 40% of that in taxes, and instead of giving 40 40 cents of that dollar, you give only 20 cents of that dollar as a corporation to tax, Mm -hmm. uh, which there is some uh, precedent for this because uh, foreign Foreign countries have lower corporate tax rates and it's causing these, these large uh, geo, large U.S. multinationals uh, to show all their profits overseas. But if that tax does go down and that is a permanent increase, that's the equivalent of $20 more in uh, after-tax earnings. Uh, to get that from a growth perspective, you would have to uh, grow at uh, you know maybe thirty dollars essentially uh, in 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 actual earnings growth, so you would need thirty okay. percent earnings growth, and then you would tax you would get sixty percent of it going to uh, the shareholder. Right. So their their after tax earnings would increase by eighteen dollars, right or right. eighteen cents. So the the net effect of that, if you think that corporations can grow at maybe you know in aggregate revenue growth might run at like four or five percent per year. And uh, assuming the margins stay constant, uh, you're looking at uh, you know seven years of revenue growth uh, that uh, we shoot ahead with by reducing the taxes permanently. Right. So it cannot be underestimated or underappreciated the effect of lower corporate income taxes in terms of the earnings that would be given to a shareholder. So for instance, again, the taxation is taking 30, 40% of corporate uh, pre-tax earnings. So for every dollar that's made, 60 cents is going to the shareholders. Now they're saying we're going to get rid of, we're going to drop it from 40% to let's say 20%. Uh, you're getting another $0.20 going to the shareholders. To get that with the 40% tax rate, you need a 30% increase. You need revenue to grow over a six or seven-year period to match that. So from a shareholder on uh, a publicly traded company that has a uh, marginal tax rate uh, that's in line with what the corporate income tax rate is, it's a tremendous event, effectively. And that's why the market is going up. So again, what the market cares about is not, is the, are these companies growing their revenue? Are the companies uh, expanding? Uh, are they growing at a fast pace? They really say, what are the earnings per share that are being given to you as a shareholder? And are those earnings per share going up? They could be going up because the company is buying back its stock. They could be going up because a tax rate change causes the E of the earnings per share to increase. So it really is a phenomenal effect. Uh, and if you modeled it, it would be the equivalent of growing the economy at, for seven years at its uh, current rate wow. uh, being affected. And that's why you're seeing this, this massive push. The, the disadvantage, the, the danger is that this is all being priced into the market. And if you don't see a corporate tax rate, the market's going to react negatively to it.
1: Right. It's all being priced in. Right. So would you say if there is, there's also maybe some gray area here too. I mean, it's priced in, it seems to me, uh, as if everything's going to go exactly uh, the way it's being planned. And we know that things have a way of not turning out that way sometimes.
2: It's priced in as if there's going to be some tax cut. What happens is when the president gets on the air and says the tax cut is going to be phenomenal right. and the market's going to go higher the market says my my goodness maybe we priced in a uh, you know a, a reduction from 35% to 28% maybe it's going to 20% right right and that's what's going on and he wants 15% uh, i don't think he wants did he say no. he wants new no, I, I don't think exactly. i i think it's 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 interesting you can reduce corporate income taxes because the taxes will be paid uh, by individuals uh and, and it will be beneficial to the economy. Uh, but the, the question is, what are you? I, I don't like all the hyperbole I keep hearing. So it's very hard for the market to digest that the president's saying it's going to be phenomenal. We're going to cut the tax rates. What, what is clear from that statement, though, is that the administration is focused on the market as a indicator, as a signal of, quote, how well they are doing. And they want the market to go up. You could say that if Bernie Sanders was the president, he would be totally oblivious to the market. He might be concerned if the market crashed or something like that, but he wouldn't be looking towards the market as an endorsement of his economic policies. Not his main focus. Not his main focus. He wouldn't be saying, oh, the market's gone up for a week. I'm doing great. So I have the feeling that the new administration is looking at the market to really give an uh, endorsement of the economic policies. Okay. And as a result, there's going to be more activity focused on trying to get the market to go up. And you can do a lot of things to cause the market to go up in the short term. What happens is that after you get the tax cut and you, you the next question becomes, well, taxes, the taxes are lower, there's more earnings being returned to shareholders, will the revenue growth uh, reaccelerate effectively? Right. So so it's it, so these things are like one-time shocks to the system that are causing the market to go up, but they're not going to cause the market to rise at this sustained pace. It can't. This is the best market rally we've seen in 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 almost a decade, I would think, in terms of day after day after day. And we're down a little bit today, uh, but it's it's just very very strong and it's very clear. It's being driven by anticipation of things to come. There's also a recovery in earnings. There's also this concern that uh, six months ago, we were very concerned about deflation, and now uh, there's no deflation in the cards. Uh, So there there are these good things happening. And uh, you have the hyperbole of sort of the government policy hitting the market at the same time and the combination is really pushing the market higher
1: right right and that's an interesting thing you just brought up too. Q4 earnings is the best quarter we've seen in at least the last two years yes. and uh, it may be that earnings overall I was talking to Shiraz Meehan right, about this who's right. the director of research and he said that uh, it's maybe the best quarter we've ever had
2: it's very the earnings are coming off a low level but they're coming in strong right and the question is is the economy naturally recovering or is sort of the enthusiasm that's occurring percolating into the economy? Companies are spending more. They're hiring more. Uh, people are spending more. They're more engaged in buying things. They're more willing to buy a car when they weren't uh, a couple of uh, months ago. So right. you, you you have the combination of these two things hitting the market at the same time. The market would not be going straight up, or not, would not have this level of strength. if It was just pure hyperbole uh, related to the, the government outlook. Uh, so you ha- you have both of those occurring at the same it's time. It's bolstered by the strong earnings. It's bolstered earnings. by the strong earnings, but uh, it, it's a feedback cycle. Okay.
1: Well, it would seem that folks like uh, Fed Chair Janet Yellen and the Congressional Budget Office are taking a more cautious view ahead, though. Uh, does this look like a justifiable position to you? And if so,
2: how so? I don't know if they're cautious. I think what they're saying is I, I think in their last... A statement, what they basically signaled is that they're gonna raise rates, but they're not gonna raise them that quickly. Right. Right? They want to they I think they said they want to see the effect of the government policies of, of the new administration before they commit to either raising uh to, to how often they're gonna raise rates. Have to manifest futures. first. Right? right. And so what do we what do we see? So we take a step back. We see government policies that are designed to make the stock market go up. We see tax laws being changed that are beneficial to shareholders. We see recovery in revenue, recovery in earnings. And we see a Fed that says we're going to stay, we're going to keep the punch bowl out for a little bit longer until we see what really goes on. Right. All of this is positive for the market in the uh, near term. Uh, We're off to a very strong start of uh, 2017. Uh, The dollar is not strengthening too much. You have all these very positive things effectively occurring uh, that are are helping the economy and the market move, move okay. higher.
1: Well, wouldn't that suggest, though, a stronger statement from the Fed chair then that we they
2: would definitely be raising rates. They they don't want to. They why don't they want to? One is there there's a concern in the back of their mind. There's all this uncertainty in Washington. They all live in Washington. As yeah. uncertain and as crazy as you think Washington is now, if your entire life is working and living in the Washington bureaucratic system, you're you're off the charts you know, go, (laughs) you're you're very disturbed by what's going on right now. You think that all things are going to collapse and things of that sort. Uh, So one, she's, she's in the center of the storm. So she sees it all occurring. And two, uh, she, she wants to have more employment. uh, And the way you have more employment is you, you don't raise the rates effectively. Right. So we're in this situation where you have low inflation recovering earnings and pro-business policies, and that's driving the market uh, higher, effectively. Okay, and I
1: mentioned the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, before too. Uh, their their fiscal 2017 outlook is for only two percent growth. Is that just they're behind the times, or is it something that they're that they're seeing that the market isn't right now?
2: It, it, it's very reason. It's very possible that it, one there's no connection between GDP growth and the market. Okay, okay. so if you plot on the x-axis. Uh, GDP growth over the last year or even coincidental and then you look at the market return you don't have it the important thing for the market is not What is GDP growing at? The important thing is what were people expecting to have happen with corporate earnings, and are those earnings expectations exceeded or missed? I see. The expectation for corporate earnings was relatively weak. They're currently being exceeded. The expectation for interest rates was that they were going to be raised quite extensively. That didn't happen. The expectation from the political system was that it was going to be more sort of Uh, What what had been going on for the last eight years, and that didn't happen. So in all three of these instances, in terms of the political outlook, the uh, earnings outlook, and the interest rate outlook, the market has been positively surprised. It was surprised to the upside in terms of earnings. It was surprised to the downside. Interest rates are staying longer for for lower, for longer than it expects. Mm-hmm. And there was expi- it was surprised to the upside by the policy changes that weren't expected. All of this is driving the market higher. And then Yellen is not aggressively raising rates. and she's signaling to everyone she's not going to aggressively raise rates. And what we spoke about before is that she has a bias towards keeping rates lower for longer. Uh, than many people are likely to anticipate. Right until
1: it until it manifests itself. Until the you see
2: place. a manifestation of the the policies, uh, she wants to get as much employment as she can out of everything. Until she has to grow it. Until you start to see inflation really start to tick up, uh, she's not going to be. They're not going to be rushing to raise rates. Okay.
1: So and that brings me to let's say tax cuts happen tomorrow. Which yeah, we know it's gonna be a little bit later than that, but the The common knowledge is that it wouldn't really affect the bottom line for companies until maybe 2018. They wouldn't be able to to to.
2: It's, it's possible. It, it doesn't affect for a while. But again, the market is a discounting mechanism. Okay. It doesn't care about what. Earnings are going to be this quarter, right? When the company reports earnings, yes, they meet or beat expectations, but the more important thing is what they say about what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, the guidance. The guidance. The guidance starts to become more important than the actual reported uh, number in many instances. There are many instances where the company reports earnings better than expectations and they guide lower or they report in line with expectations and they guide higher, so the key issue is not what's going to happen in this earnings or next earnings quarter or the next earnings, what's going to happen in the next 20 earnings reporting periods. If those taxes are cut and they're kept down for the next five years, for the next 20 earnings reporting period, you're going to have lower uh, corporate tax rates. Right. You're going to have higher earnings. If that then extends beyond just five years to 10 years or 15 years, uh, it, it, it could be extremely beneficial to the market. Okay. All right,
1: that's very good. All right, so is there anything that you can see that might possibly work against these tremendous gains in the market?
2: All the, all the sentiment is becoming more and more positive. So again, as, as we surprise to the upside in earnings and we surprise to the downside in terms of interest rates and we surprise to the upside in terms of uh, government policy, uh, you start saying, well, where are, the, where are the positive surprises going to come going forward? Mm-hmm. And what happens is when things turn positive, is when there's a likely chance of something negative occurring that's not anticipated.
1: It's because of the exuberancy. It's not because
2: know. of the exuberance. You're, 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 okay, earnings, well, we just had our, we just talked about this. Shaw right. says they're better than they've been in, in 10 years or right. something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you're seeing a year-over-year earnings growth. You're seeing year-over-year revenue growth. You're seeing government policy that's beneficial to, to uh, stockholders, right? Mm-hmm. And you're seeing interest rates that are the, the Fed said are going to be lower for longer than what they're anticipating. All of this is positive. Right. When all the positives are in the market, everything good is being discounted and it's easier for the market to be surprised to the downside. Okay. So the higher the market goes, the more likely something is going to happen to cause a correction uh, to materialize. Okay. But there's still, in, in, in terms of sentiment, it still is not a bull market that is widely embraced by... Pension funds, by individuals and by investors, they're not rushing into the market like people did in other bouts of market euphoria uh, that I can remember. Okay,
1: and that's the part that you really say you have to watch out for. Is that correct?
2: When you get to the euphoric stage of the market, it it, it it's there's a reason for the euphoria to be existent, but it 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 is apparent when you start seeing. Just people outside of the market start getting interested in the stock market. Effectively, pop, pop culture starts to become focused on the stock market. Right. News, uh, popular news articles start to become focused on the stock market, etc. You're not quite in that phase yet, and we're, 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 we're and, and if earnings can grow, we're not going to. We may not get to that phase. We may have a very sustainable bull market going forward, but you just have to be prepared. Like we said in sort of our our weekly commentary, every year within the last six years, there's been a market pullback of about 10% on a peak to trough basis. And in, uh, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, in six of the seven years, and then all those seven years, the market, you know, ended flat or slightly or up.
1: That's right. So
2: again, the key is you have to ignore the fluctuations to the downside. You have to ignore the fluctuations to the upside. You don't want to try and time the market. You want to just try and invest in the market, and when you have these corrections, effectively ignore those corrections okay. over time and
1: keep diversified. Is that correct? Keep
2: diversification is a very important part, and we can get back into this. If you buy a stock, you buy Walmart stock, and you say I'm going to hold Walmart till the end of the uh, end of days, it is possible something happens with Walmart in terms of its competitive positioning relative to Amazon that the stock just goes down, 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 down. It is not possible if you own the market and you're diversified, that you're going to see these pullbacks not rebound. So any individual stock could easily fall 20% and never rebound. It could go down 20%, it could keep going down to zero. But if you own the market as a whole, in terms of capitalization and sector exposure relative to the S&P 500, Mm -hmm. when these markets pull back, you have the belief that is strongly held and based up by what based on what's happened historically, that if you just continue to hold and you don't adjust, you're going to see a recovery occurring. You don't have that same belief if you hold an underlying one position or one segment of the market.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, Mitch, after we return from a break, I want to talk about the Mitch on the Markets piece from this past week. It's called, Are You Prepared for a Stock Market Correction? It's kind of what you were le- leading yes. up to here, what you were just saying. And there's a very interesting graph that I'd like to discuss, too, after the break. Uh, so I just wanted to say, for more information about how to best, best invest your assets for retirement, call Zach's Investment Management right here in Chicago at 800-918-918. 3-1-1-4. You'll also get a free stock market outlook if you call that number, 1 800 918 3114. And we will be right back after a word from our sponsor. Thank you. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
0: The Steady Investor Show is brought to you by Zacks Investment Management, a wealth management boutique formed over 23 years ago and manages several billions of dollars for thousands of customers. At Zacks, we believe acting in your best interest is our obligation. Zacks focuses on providing solutions and listening to our clients' needs. With trust in the financial industry at an all-time low, we find this focus to be a key differentiator for our firm. We're based in Chicago and have a team of advisor representatives located across the country to help you with your retirement planning. Whether you need help with financial planning, or looking for a second opinion on your retirement plan. Give us a call at 1-800-918-3114. Or to learn more, go to info at zacks.com. Again, that number is 1-800-918-3114. Or go to info at zacks.com. Fast performance is no guarantee of future results. Potential for loss exists in any investment. Material is for informational purposes only. It is not investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice. A recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. No advice is given about a strategy suitability for a particular investor
1: when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network
0: you are listening to the steady investor to reach our program today please call 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to cgaitan at zacks.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back to The Steady Investor, sponsored by Zacks Investment Management. This is Mark Vickery, joined by Mitch Zacks, Portfolio Manager and Founding Principal at Zacks Investment Management. Uh, yeah, and if you'd like to talk to Mitch directly, you can call the show uh, right here on the podcast. Again, the number is 866 472 uh, if you'd like some more information about Zach's Investment Management, you can uh, email us at info at ZimWealth, Zim for Zach's Investment Manage- Management, Wealth.com, or visit our website, ZimWealth.com. And speaking of the website, uh, Mitch on the Markets. It's, yes. uh a, It's a nice forward-leading article, very popular. Uh, and the most recent article that uh, that we have today is, Are You Prepared for a Stock Market Correction?, which is an interesting point of view coming from all this uh, market activity to the positive that we've seen over the past week or so. Uh, But are you prepared for a stock market correction is nonetheless a very good question. Uh, And people have to ask themselves that. Uh, Now there's no certainties in stock market investing, but there are patterns that emerge, you say, often enough that we can recognize them and make informed
2: investment decisions accordingly. Um, How would you uh, speak on that? You have market corrections. Continually, there are movements that are often very short, sharp uh, between 10 to 20% pullback in the market. That's big. And that is big and it happens every year. And we can go through each year in 2010, there was a market pullback of 16% and the market ended up the year 13%. Last year, the market pulled back 11% in January and the market ended up 10%. So it went from going down 11% to closing up 10% above where it started for the year. So there's this 20% move of the market. And the year before that, the market fell 12% in 2015, and the market ended down only 1% for the year.
1: Right, that's the only down year of the past six. It's
2: past six. And you should get about every, one out of every three years should be a down year for the market. Generally, two out of every three years should be an up year for the market. But the point is that, If you look historically, there's nothing special about what's occurred between 2010 and 2016. If we look over any period, almost every year has this correction. We're going to have one in this year. When it occurs, it's going to feel like uh, there's a reason for for the market to be going down. It's going to keep going down. It's going to cause panic. And the key is to ignore this. Now, the question is, well, what if... What if it doesn't uh, materialize and becomes a bear market? Well, that sometimes happens and you can't predict when the market is, is going through a correction, whether it's going to metamorphose into a bear market. But you do know that the best course of action in a bear market is to do nothing. It's to hold it, let your stock values fall, let them recover, and you wait a period of time for that recovery to occur. Okay. And so the, the key is to make investors aware that corrections are par for the course we're going to have one in 2017. How do I know this? Statistically, we've had one in every single year of the past six years. We're going to have one every next 10 years. And when it happens, people get very worked up and it's very uh, it puts a lot of pressure on the system. And there is a real risk in each one of these corrections that doesn't bounce back and it becomes a bear market and it goes down another 10 or 15 or 20 percent. And uh, people get very worked up, but that is par for the course. That's how you're able to generate this 7 to 9% annualized rate of return year after year after year, effectively. Okay.
1: So, I mean, it's two steps forward, one step back. It's still a forward you're progression. Just, it's still a
2: forward progression. You, you just have to ignore the corrections. And the, where people r- run into problems is when the correction uh, happens, uh, they respond to it. I mean, there were two... Uh, you know, there, there, there was in, in January of last year, there was, uh, you know, a lot of headlines were occurring about China's hard landing and uh, the Chinese economy essentially uh, coming under pressure. And then you had the same thing happen uh, for Brexit in about uh, June of that year. Right. So in, in January of last year, you had the Chinese issue. In June of last year, you had Brexit. Both of them turned out to be non-issues. Brexit didn't really cause any problems for the U.S., in fact, helped the the U.S. multinationals. It helped the U.S. economy. It helped cause capital flows into the U.S. markets. And uh, China then just managed their economy more so that they don't run into recession eventually right. china is going to run to recession eventually there's going to be some geopolitical event that really will put downward pressure on trade or us markets uh, but these were not them but the markets anticipating these things will occur and as a result there's there's there tends to be uh, not an overreaction but th- this is just par for the course effectively
1: right i mean you study this stuff so you can see clearly uh, that we're we will have some sort of correction at some point now is it worthwhile do you think to try to indicate Uh, what events might be what causes that downturn and to be able to to trade effectively?
2: Cannot predict it. That's the whole entire point. You can't predict Brexit was going to occur. You couldn't predict that the market was going to suddenly feel that China was going to uh, collapse. Uh, you can't predict recessions. It's very difficult to. Okay. Uh, there, you can run very sophisticated econometric models in the 1970s and early 80s. There were firms that were developed, uh, staffed with large amounts of academic researchers to try and generate econometric models to predict which way the economy is going, and that was not able to be done. Right. Uh, so you, you, I mean, just because it wasn't be able to be done in the past doesn't mean it can't be done in the future. But by by their very nature, you it's very you cannot predict a recession, and you cannot predict when the bear market is going to occur. But it doesn't matter if you're an investor, because if you're an investor, you take the bear market in stride, you continue to hold, and eventually you have a recovery that materializes. Okay. And what
1: about when it's uh, nice and, and buoyant like it is right now? It you, can
2: you, lay. It can remain buoyant for quite some time. You don't try and time the market, Okay. right? You really don't. You don't try and say, "Listen, the market's overvalued. The market's undervalued." We run all sorts of these models, looking at market sentiment, looking at the cape ratio, looking at IPO activity, and they have some. They they have a a, a uh, outlook on the market, but generally speaking. You want to use that outlook to just make very subtle changes in terms of your equity and debt mix. And even then, it's not really a good idea. What you really should be trying to do is keep your equity and debt mix consistent with your risk level over long periods of time. Okay. So, bottom line, excuse me, uh, stay cool and stay the course. You saying. stay the course. You ignore the fluctuations. The reason I brought this up is that because the market is doing very well, and we have to understand the reason we can generate a 6 to 9% annualized rate of return in the market is because you do have these corrections over time. Okay. Now, some people might argue that things are different now. You know, the last six years was a different administration in the White House. The, and- the more the argument you hear that things are different now, the more they're not. It's different now because of the dot-com companies. It's different now because of this. The market is very – the patterns of the market are very uh, standard or structured over long periods of time. The more people say that what's going on with the administration is totally different than any other administration that's ever occurred. It's totally different than the geopolitical situation. What's going on with automation is totally different. This sort of reactionary uh, belief that uh, we are at the tipping point, we are at the end times, we are, uh, something is very different now than ever before, is continual over history. In the 1970s, in the 1980s, in the 1990s, in the dot-com era, in 2007, 2008, the, the, it, was, it was the same belief. Everything is different now. We've never had a president who's impeached. Everything's different now. We've never been in a war in Asia. Everything's different now. We've never had the disruption of the Internet. Everything's different now. It just go on and on and on. And yeah. it's just history is more and more of these events where everything is different now. And what really happens is if you take a step back... As long as sort of the U.S. doesn't get into some massive destabilizing or destructive geopolitical event and uh, the U.S. continues to grow, uh, the market is going to continue to grow. Where this doesn't hold up. This concept of sort of the triumph of the optimists and how the market over time uh, progresses upward is if you pick a market, the the, the argument against it is that, well, Mitch, you're looking at all this data from the U.S. stock market, but the U.S. was the country that uh, was the least hindered by World War II. It was the least affected by all the geopolitical events of the last 100 years. You have other countries, you know, uh, Lebanon had a very developed stock market for many years. Yeah. It, it got completely destroyed so if you invested in Lebanese stocks they went to zero because the entire market was wiped out as long as you don't have that sort of event occurring in the United States yeah and you can stay in US equities you're going to do very very well over long periods of time and and the outlook is that you would you would guess that okay maybe they'll be the US will not be the global power it was in the 1990s but it's still going to be there And you're not going to see some sort of disruption that you've seen in these other societies. And if you do, that's what you really have to sort of guard against. But the the, the argument against sort of the triumph of the optimists on the U.S. market is that in 1900, okay, 100 years, long time ago, but in 1900, the U.S. was one of 20 markets. And if you invested in the other, in 10 of those 20 markets you would have been completely wiped out because of, of things that occurred in those markets over time. Okay. But you invest in the US market and the US market has survivorship bias. It's the one that survived, it's the economy that grew. As long as the US economy continues to survive, as long as the economy continues to grow, uh, stocks are gonna continue to go up. You have to understand that when the market goes down, the entire society tries to focus on getting the market to go up because it's necessary for the economy to effectively function. It's not necessarily that it has to go up a lot, but you have to have growth of the stock market over time. And all companies are designed to try and do that. They're designed to try and grow their earnings over time. And so everyone working at Procter & Gamble is trying to adapt to the new world and grow their corporate earnings over time. And what happens is all these people organized in these units trying to grow their earnings over time is that they're successful in doing so. Okay. And so you bet over time that corporate earnings are going to go up and as they go up the market will increase as well.
1: All right. Well, let's take a look uh, industry wise. Uh, which. Uh, segments, do you think are stronger than others? Uh, you know, let's, let's take uh, Q4 earnings into account. Uh, finance seems to have done well. Yeah, uh, the retailers who are about to uh, announce uh, quarterly earnings, maybe not such a great holiday season. They a lot of them had uh, uh, issues with headwinds uh, concerning Amazon uh, taking a lot of their uh, their market share. But uh, where would you say finance? That's
2: that's good. Are I, we going to see? Uh, I think utilities. You have to underweight, and the reason is they're just very expensive relative to where they've been historically. So utilities on a P multiple are expensive to where they've been historically, and they're expensive to where the S&P 500 is. Okay. So as a percentage of the P multiple of the S&P 500, utility companies are high. As a percentage of where they've been historically over the last 10, 15 years, utility companies are very high as well. So utility companies, I'm not particularly positive on finance, if these the government really comes through with reducing the regulations and having increasing interest rates should benefit dramatically uh, from uh, in terms of earnings growth. Uh, techs doing relatively well given all the issues of of the new president and how he's going to stop global trade. Right. Uh, the retailers are a real question. You really have this question of how disruptive online retailing has become. Has it reached a tipping point? where 30 years from now or 10 years from now or 15 years from now, uh, there'll be no malls in the country, right? Why would you go to a mall and search through a bunch of goods? Well, I have to buy it, I have to touch the good. Uh, It's all gonna be sold effectively online because it can be sold cheaper and quicker online And eventually, the distribution is going to get down, so they'll probably have same-day distribution, and it's going to just keep moving and moving forward like that.
1: And that may have other implications as well, such as uh, employment. A lot of people are employed by the retail uh, establishment. Also, REITs, the real
2: estate aspect of, of these shops and malls. Generally, though, if you provide goods cheaper and faster and better than you were before, that's how the economy grows. So what happens is every single person buying every single good is now spending less and less money on that good because they're buying it from Amazon or online or cheaper, uh, cheaper sourced uh, through the Internet uh, than the, what they would by going to that store. Right. And so the net result is it's the old tire argument. The tires are made cheaper. They're produced by everyone. Everyone spends less on tires. The People in the tire manufacturing plant don't have as much going on. And then they have they have negative consequences. But generally speaking, it, 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 as the economy competes, the, the issue is the issue is whether all the wealth of the retailers, think about all the companies in the retailing space, think about all the people working in those stores, yeah. all those salaries just become profit for Amazon. So what happens is you have the superstar company. Amazon, because of the internet, is able to take over almost everything, and all these companies come under pressure. So jobs get lower, this gets lower, and it increases, uh, increases wage disparity. Yeah, That what it comes down to is not, are you the best worker possible, it's, do you have a job at Amazon, or are you working at Walmart? And you could be in the managerial track at Walmart, you're never going to be uh, do as well as the people on the managerial track of Amazon, because Amazon is uh, taking over the, the 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 market space. Right. So the issue is why is why is wage disparity suddenly increasing? Why is there the suddenly disparity between uh, people in terms of incomes and wealth levels and things like that? And one idea is well, it's regulation. As they uh, increased regulation, it it served as a barrier to entry of new companies being started. The older companies had all this regulation. Uh, the other basic concept is really it has to do with these natural monopolies uh, that are, you know, another concept is that oh, it's there are more monopolies now. So that the, these companies have a greater monopoly. In the past they would bust up the monopoly, now they don't bust it up and these monopolies are just able to extract all the profit and the people who are associated with the monopolies then become very wealthy and everyone competing against the monopolies comes under pressure. Okay. But what really I think happened is that there's something changed with technology that allows companies to compete on a global basis, and if they can win on a global basis, they get much larger, and if they can't win, they're competing against someone who is competing on a global basis. So if you think about retailing, 20 years ago, in 1990, before, uh, you know, in 1996, before we had sort of online retailers just becoming so dominant, you were you had to go to that a department store to buy whatever you wanted to buy. Right. And there were two or three department stores and they're competing with each other, but that was it. Now you, the department store is competing against Amazon, which is competing against every department store in the country. And they're able to get their costs lower and lower and lower and develop a of good. So what happened is Amazon became a superstar company and all these other companies, Walmart, Macy's, all these other companies are now competing against it. So all the economic profits are going to Amazon. Now, is that because... There's a monopoly at Amazon? No. Is it because of regulations? No. It's just because the world has enabled people to compete on a more global basis. The same thing has happened with uh, people who play sports, their uh, salaries. Why are the salaries? Because there's a global distribution of the sporting good. The view of the game used to only be able to be viewed in that stadium, In Indianapolis. And now it's viewed worldwide by everyone. And if you can get a better uh, ratings, you can get more and more. So again, the technology is causing corporations to be able to compete globally with fewer people. And so, it becomes this winner-take-all scenario where if the corporation can do better than everyone else, they can grow very, very nicely, especially. Okay. All right. So, I think we've only got about another minute or so. Okay. Take a, uh, when we come back for a break, though, Mitch, uh,
1: we do have a, uh, an email that was sent in. So, I want to, I'll read that question from this uh, man in Dallas, Texas. All right. Uh, but before then, um, I just want to say again, uh, for more information about how to best invest your assets for retirement, call Zach's Investment Management right here in Chicago, 800 918 3-1-1-4. And there you can discuss at length your risk levels and investment strategies that are best for you and your family. Uh, for more information, you can email us at info at zimwealth.com, Z-I-M for Zacks Investment Management, wealth.com, or visit our website, zimwealth.com com That's where you can read the Mitch on the Markets piece every week as well. Uh, or um, and then when you call into that number eight hundred nine one eight three one one four, you'll get our free stock market outlook written by uh, Chief Strategist John Blank. Uh, very comprehensive, and any responsible investor will do well to uh, to study its uh, its uh, what what's inside of it. So we're going to take a short break, Mitch, and we'll come back uh, with this um, with Frank from Dallas's question for you. Okay? All right, very
2: good, Mark. Bye. From the boardroom to you, Voice
1: America Business Network.
0: The Steady Investor Show is brought to you by Zach's Investment Management, a wealth management boutique formed over 23 years ago and manages several billions of dollars for thousands of customers. At Zacks, we believe acting in your best interest is our obligation. Zacks focuses on providing solutions and listening to our clients' needs. With trust in the financial industry at an all-time low, we find this focus to be a key differentiator for our firm. We're based in Chicago and have a team of advisor representatives located across the country to help you with your retirement planning. Whether you need help with financial planning or looking for a second opinion on your retirement plan. Give us a call at 1-800-918-3114 or to learn more, go to info at zacks.com. Again, that number is 1-800-918-3114 or go to info at zacks.com. Fast performance is no guarantee of future results. Potential for loss exists in any investment. Material is for informational purposes only. It is not investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice. A recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. No advice is given about a strategy's suitability for a particular investor. You are listening to The Steady Investor. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to See Tan at Zaxx.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back to the third and final segment of The Steady Investor, sponsored by Zaxx Investment Management. This is Mark Vickery with Mitch Zaxx, Portfolio Manager and Founding Principal at Zaxx Investment Management. Uh, Mitch, we've been talking about a lot of interesting things that have been in the news and uh, and, and what to do uh, with your portfolio. But uh, Frank from Dallas- Uh, actually wrote us uh, an email, and he has a question for you. He says, Mitch, I've read in a few places that investors should favor financial stocks and banks this year. We touched on this a little bit ourselves. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? And if
2: they're positive, what should I buy? Sure. The, The two reasons that financials are getting upward earnings estimate revisions is, one, you have a reduction in regulation. Banks can make as much money as they want in the short term by just lending it out. They have you know a capital base of a hundred million dollars. They have a billion dollars, you know if they can if they can go from ten percent uh, equity to asset level to five percent equity to asset level, they can double their amount of assets, right, right? So the the regulations are saying, here's how much we need you to have in terms of your equity reserves. Here's what assets you're allowed to do. Here's what you're allowed to do. They say, okay, they'll say, okay, fine, I'll get, instead of getting a billion dollars on a hundred million dollars of equity of uh, income producing assets, I'll get $2 billion on a hundred million dollars of equity of asset, uh, you know, of income yielding assets. So if the regulations are changed, the way the banking industry, banks particularly work is they're able to increase. Their firepower, let's say, and so they can very easily increase the amount they're lending if they have looser lending requirements mm. and if they have lower capital ratios. And uh, the regulations up to this point have been designed to tighten the lending requirements and increase the capital ratios. Based on what, the time what happened in yeah, based on what happened in 8 12. you can't. You we're we're not going to let these large banks pay dividends to shareholders. Okay, so we're going to just in, in, instead cause them to have to keep their equity increasing and build up and uh, they earn very nominal interest on it and they can't give it back to shareholders and they can't deploy it. Now the new administration comes in and says you can either give it back to shareholders or you can deploy it. That's a huge change if you're an investor in these financials. So one is the, regula- the regulatory change cannot be understated in terms of the financials. The second is the yield curve and it, essentially all banks do is they borrow money on the short end of the curve and they lend it out at the longer end of the curve. Right. When the short end of the curve is zero and the long end of the curve is 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 flat, it's lowest, the mortgage rates are the lowest they've ever been for a while, they're not making that much money. Now the short end becomes slightly higher mm-hmm. and the yield curve becomes more upward sloping, they're going to make more money. So a, a rising interest rate environment, generally when interest rates rise. It's not a parallel shift of the yield curve. The yield curve becomes more upward sloping. And as the yield curve becomes more upward sloping, the earnings of these banking companies are going to to do much better. So the financials were probably the third best performing uh, sector last year. And my anticipation is it is going to continue to be one of the better performing sectors this year because we're going to have a higher interest rate environment and we're going to have likely looser regulations for the banks uh, going forward. Now, in in the short term, this is very good for bank profits. In the long term, are you setting the uh, framework for a potential repeat of a financial issue Maybe, but like probably the, the not the in the next five years or 10 years. Probably at some time in the next 30 or 40 years, you're going to have a repeat of it. Once, once people don't forget what happened. Once people forget what happened. But they, they, it's still so strong in people's mind. It's so strong in managers' minds. It's so endemic uh, to the changes that have been made. It's, unlikely that, it's more likely that they overreacted to the problem and increased the regulation too much than they underreacted to the problem. So my my basic belief is they likely there was an overreaction to it, and now uh, they're trying to pull that back, and they're saying, listen large money center bank, we want you to take your assets and we want we want you to take your equity and want you to deploy it as uh, more uh, more loans out there. Right. And as they give more loans, do they run into problem? Maybe if there's a recession, they'll get hit harder than if they did not. Uh, but they're moving away from financial utilities towards financial companies. Okay. And when you
1: say financials, that's a wide swath. I mean, you yeah. have the, the, the major banks that are global. You have the regional banks. You have, would you include insurance
2: companies? You have the banks, uh, regional banks, insurance companies, some REITs, uh, investment management companies, all sorts of different groups in there. Mainly what I'm talking about is the banks. If you look at the Russell a 2000 small cap index, you're going to see a large percentage of financials and you're going to even see a larger percentage of the total earnings from these small cap companies coming from the financial, uh, from the bank. If you think of a very small town in Southern Illinois and you have a bank and you have all these companies around the bank that use the bank's loans, the bank's going to be the most profitable entity in that town, much more so than the uh, local uh, Earth-moving uh, group or the local home builder, effectively. Okay. And just the nature of banking is that when it's working, it is a it is a reasonably profitable uh, business. Whereas the home builder is going to go through periods of expansion and periods of contraction, effectively. Right. There might be seasonal, you know, or seasonal, be- all sorts of things going on. Right. there. So, so generally speaking, that that's true amongst small cap stocks. And banks have a disport disproportionate amount of earnings and a disproportionate amount of market cap. Relative to other uh, smaller companies, effectively. Okay. Well, so, I, I, and the regional banks are probably better positioned to benefit from a reduction in the tax rate than the global banks. And the regional banks are better positioned to to prosper from reduction in the regulations. J.P. Morgan's already doing everything they can with their taxes. Yeah. God knows what they're doing. And then <laughs> uh, they're also, you know, in terms of their regulation, uh, they they're they're set up for whatever regulation is thrown at it. A regional Chicago-based bank that's lending in the Midwest has real issues with increased regulation Mm -hmm. and has real issues that, you know, they may be paying more in taxes than they should be. So when the tax rate is lowered, it helps the regional bank more. When the regulations are lowered, it helps the upstart, it helps the smaller company more. The large amount of regulations served as a way of preventing the regional bank from engaging in activity that J.P. Morgan can do because they have a greater regulatory uh, structure effectual, effectively. Okay. It serves, serves as a barrier of entry to the larger companies for the most part.
1: Okay, good. Well, thank you for your question, Frank. It's a good one. Um, and uh, what I wanted to ask you also, and this is Something, I don't know if we even touched on it, the energy sector. Uh, Do you see that perhaps getting a Trump?
2: Trump I don't know. Warren Buffett is buying a lot of airline companies, which tells me that he thinks potentially that energy prices are going to go down and stay down for a long period of time. That relates to airline companies because the cost 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 would be low. I mean, the airline companies are essentially, you know energy prices are the biggest thing they, you know, as soon as they start making a lot of money, people start new airlines. And there's, there's a question of whether over long periods of time, but the fact that he's betting on the airline companies tells me that there must be some belief from him that you think energy prices are going to go lower for longer than what the market is currently anticipating. Again, remember, we had this issue that as soon as energy prices started to rise, what happened? Massive supply came on board from the US uh, you know, and, and from this, the, 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 the sands in, in Canada, and energy prices fell dramatically. That technology still exists. Yeah. That energy is still out there. Right. The only difference is the prices fell and they're trying to, they, the, what the oil, what the OPEC nations try to do is reduce oil prices, put these guys out of business, and then mm-hmm. we'll raise them. That's not going well, to work. has it's, it's not. As soon as they try and raise those oil prices, that supply is going to come back mm-hmm. online. And I think that what, that is what might be behind this overall bet that the uh, airlines are going to do uh, well in the immediate term. And so I, I tend to not like the energy companies, and I tend to not like the utility companies right now. I tend to like finance. I tend to like technology. Uh, we're probably overweighted a little bit in consumer staples. I would want to, just from a macro perspective, want to reduce consumer staple exposure. Retailers are cheap. But you do have this question of disruption occurring amongst the retailers uh, due to internet retailing in effect. Okay. Well, the reason I brought up
1: energy also is goes back to our earlier discussion on yeah. the Trump administration, that the Secretary of State yeah. is the former CEO of ExxonMobil, which, right. which is the biggest oil company in the world. So wouldn't that somehow manifest itself into being a, a positive for Generally
2: speaking, companies? energy companies do better in Republican administrations than Democratic administrations. Small cap companies uh, tend to do better in Democratic administrations than Republican administrations. Okay. So it's not, it, but these these differences are, are so small that the whether he's the head of the Secretary of State or not, or the head of Exxon is in this position or that position, they can't change the underlying economics that want that there's a ceiling on energy prices caused by technological change in the US and in energy extraction technology. So that what, what happens is if energy prices rise, the supply is gonna come back online. So there's a ceiling on how high energy prices can go and you're likely to see energy prices under somewhat uh, some degree of pressure. Okay, This concept of peak oil it's very similar to Mouth. It's like, you know, you see this thing growing at a fast at rate. You say, well, it's unsustainable. It's going to cause all these problems. And then a technological change occurs that causes the exp- stops the, the growth from occurring. It's exactly what we saw. Peak energy. Everyone got excited about all these high energy prices. Everyone figured out they can make money by extracting oil in a different way. They start building these places in North Dakota, Nebraska, all these places. Uh, no for the fracking sites, energy prices came down. Those fracking sites are still there. What it is 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 that is the cheapest marginal producer of energy is still the Saudis. So they can extract energy from the sand easier than you could extract from almost any place else. And they can give energy at the marginal cost the lowest amount. So they want to – what their goal is to get rid of all their energy reserves. They've got to sell it all. So what they don't want to have happen is have someone else continue to futz around with the fracking and get the cost down lower and lower and lower. Right. And the way you get them to stop futzing around with the fracking is you keep oil prices low. And so so you're going to see this and if oil prices start getting higher, the fracking's going to start they're going to start more and more resources are going to be spent on it and the prices are going to go lower and lower. So you 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 have this massive increase in supply of energy. You don't have a growing massive demand for energy because the economies outside the U.S. are not growing at a super fast rate. And the combination of that, I think, is going to put downward pressure, a somewhat downward pressure on energy prices going forward.
1: Okay. Um, so let's talk about... Um the, let's talk about the trade policies, okay. and this uh, this pretty much goes across industries as long as they're global. Um, but let's start with NAFTA. What, what, where do you see the future of NAFTA at, as of now? Do you think that there's something that is going to be worked out between Mexico, uh, the the Prime Minister of Canada just met with the President, uh, I think last week. Uh, this is and this will only be a I can't.
2: I am. I have given up trying to figure out what is going on in Washington. I cannot determine if there's master manipulation occurring. Or if there's incompetent, I, I can't figure it out. So okay. I can't determine whether there is someone sitting there saying NAFTA is a bad idea uh, because we think it's a bad idea, even though all the economists say it's a good idea, we're going to get rid of it. Or if there's someone saying NAFTA isn't really that bad, look, it's very clear if you get rid of NAFTA, you're, you're, you're going to have a decrease in, in U.S. GDP growth, uh, but we have to keep telling the base that, that elected that NAFTA is bad, so we have to do these policies to try and do it. So it makes a huge difference of which one of those things is true. So do they, d- does the administration understand that global trade benefits everyone And that everything else, but they're saying we have to appeal to our base and they're playing this sort of thing where they don't want to affect global trade, but they want to let people know they're trying to do something. So they're going to do very visible, crazy things like building walls and things like that that have very little effect. Or do they really discount any sort of economic data and say we're going to ignore this and we're just going to do what we think we want to do, which is get rid of NAFTA and get rid of these treaties? and then it's it's not clear which one that is it's there's very few things economists can agree on free trade is is one of them so the the concept that by engaging in trade if a trade occurs each party is made better off when china sells us goods we're not buying those goods because we like china we're not buying those goods because we you know want to destroy our factories for buying those goods because the people buying those goods are made better off by buying those goods than they are by buying other goods they're giving money away they're getting tires in return they need tires and they're giving less money than they have to to get they're other tires they're buying it for cheaper there's there's and the Chinese are not giving us tires because they like us uh, because they they want to stabilize the uh, the factories in the United States because they want to cause political turmoil they're giving us tires because they're giving us tires and they're getting paid money and so a trade is occurring, and that trade is beneficial to both parties. And if you stop that trade from occurring, both parties are made worse off from that occurring. So globalization and free trade is causing disruption, but it's also the effect of sort of a technological change and automation that is also causing the disruption. Right. These things are all positive, and over time what happens is the economy is going to become wealthier. Because fewer people are going to produce more goods with less resources. Okay. Okay. So if you have a, a agrarian society and everyone is employing them and their family on the farm, and all of a sudden you have farm equipment and you have fertilizer and you have genetically designed crops, and now one person can farm a much larger area, what happens? All those people are working on the farm. They have to go find something else to do. Right. But the society as a whole is made better off. If you impose rules that say you cannot use farm equipment on the farm, you cannot use genetically modified crops, whatever. So the net result is I think that the trade policies are going to remain because I believe the administration understands that free trade is beneficial to the market and beneficial to the economy and I think that at the heart of it, Trump is has a global outlook to some extent. Okay, very good.
1: Well, let's leave that there, Mitch. Uh, Mitch Zacks, the Portfolio Manager and Founding Principal at Zacks Investment Management. Uh, we'll be back next week with The Steady Investor. Thank you very much for listening.
0: Thank you for tuning in this week. Be sure to join Mitch Zacks and Mark Vickery for another edition of The Steady Investor next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you haven't started your retirement plan yet, what are you waiting for?